Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be another fun episode with my friend Dwayne Adams. Dwayne has been deer hunting longer than most of us have been alive. He's shot more big bucks and guided for more big deer and big elk than uh, pretty much anyone I know. Dwayne, it's going to be awesome to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Jay. Thank God, doing good. Uh, I can't wait for this season to come around. Yeah, you know, with all the moisture we've been having, Dwayne, uh, it's it's pretty easy as a big game hunter not to be looking forward to the season coming up. You know, Arizona, it, you know, it seems like we've been fighting drought for so long. It's really nice to uh, see the moisture that we've been getting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've even been seeing storms even in May here hitting, you know, even in your neck of the woods down there in San Manuel and stuff. Uh, What's your outlook? I I think, Jay, it may be as good as we've ever seen or at least in the last 50 years with the moisture. I, I've never seen it like this. Uh, I have an uncle that lives in Pine Top, and he said they just opened up the road to Reservation Lake last week. And yeah. and he drove down there. They had the gate locked going in, and, and they, he talked to uh, somebody down there, and they told him that it's going to be, there's still three miles under snow. And, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And I talked to Ryan Hatch up up at the Kaibab, and he said that the North Rim is, is the same thing. It, they haven't even opened it up yet because there's still snow. They can't get into the North Rim. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, uh, it, for those that uh, probably listen to the podcast a lot, they know that, that that equates to moisture, equates to animals feeling good and maximum potential with their uh, you know, with their bodies and good conditions, which then in turn grow great antlers. Uh, but for those that are listening that um, are maybe new, uh, the difference, uh, but say, between this time last year where we were in a severe drought and the, the animals, uh, you know, were basically, you know, struggling to survive and they didn't have good nutrition uh, because the landscape, the, the uh, country, the terrain, the vegetation they, they, they were eating did not have what they needed to get their bodies in good shape. Um, this year with, you know, elk, deer, coos deer, I mean, across the board, uh, the animals uh, should be in great shape. Uh, I'm thinking uh, antler growth should be at maximum capacity across the board. But not only that, Dwayne, I'm curious your thoughts on it. You know, with last year being as tough as it was, um, I think there was a lot of animals that either had broken antlers, uh, broke, you know, broken points, uh, and or did not grow to their capacity, and so they were able to get a pass and, and, and no one shot them, and now you take a year coming off a bad year like last year, um, you know, some of these animals could just be at, at just peak capacity. I think that's the truth. I think this is the year to get a tag. If a guy could get a tag on, on, on any of these quality hunts, uh, uh, my Lord, I mean, it's, you know, you and I talked before, Jay, I think it was down between 30 and 40 points on the elk, and it was substantially down on the kaibab. You know, I mean, literally, those deer struggled up there, and it's that simple. So I yeah. think it's going to be unbelievable, and I, I can't wait to get scouting. I'm already seeing lots of baby quail hatched all around town here, and and, and good hatches too. And I'm just flabbergasted. So thank God there's a lot of seeds for them, and and I, I think it's going to be a great year. Thank God. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dwayne, we're going to talk about uh, mule deer on the Kaibab. Uh, we're going to talk about coos deer in southern Arizona and the units that you like to hunt. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, you have spent the last 40-some years uh, going up to Unit 1 guiding elk hunters, and I, I just can't help but think of, of how incredible Unit 1 is going to be and, and the grass and the bugling. Um, do you have a full slate of hunters for Unit 1, and, and you know, what's your th thinking on the elk rut? Well, I, I do. I, uh, we, we do have a full slate. And I just think it's going to be unbelievable. Uh, I was up there a week ago, and, and, and it was just unbelievable that the marshes were hundreds of yards long where the water had melted in there. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Everywhere you looked, there was moisture, just water everywhere. The lakes, the Big Lake and Crescent Lake are just brimming full and all those tanks. So I, it's just going to be unbelievable, Jay. I, I think it's, we're going to, I think there are going to be some gigantic bulls killed all over the state. Not not in just one. I th I think everywhere, but there's always a lot of great moisture in one, and so that 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 just gives those elk a lot better chance of not having to walk miles to get moisture. Yeah, for sure, Dwayne. Uh, as we're looking at these uh, Arizona uh, regulations for deer uh, coming up, uh, you have kind of a two faceted. Uh, uh, level to your guide service as far as you you have a heavy focus on the mule deer on the Kaibab Plateau uh, but then as well the coos deer in southern Arizona and central Arizona uh, and let's before we get into that let's talk a little bit about uh, where you live set the groundwork for maybe those that haven't listened to podcasts that I've done with you before and I encourage the listeners to go back and check out the handful of episodes uh, with Dwayne, just just an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. But um, talk about where you live and kind of where you cut your teeth, specifically talking about coos deer uh, right there in southern Arizona, that in that region. Well, I live in uh, on the east side of the Santa Catalina, is about forty miles north of Tucson, and all my life I grew up here chasing deer, mule deer, and coos deer all my life. And uh, I, I've seen an unbelievable expansion of the coos deer in the last 20 years. They've exploded. They're, they're where most people never look. Uh, they're literally all over the desert floor. And so they move their home range. They're all over the San Pedro River where there used to never be a deer. There's deer all over the San Pedro River now. So it, it, it's just been an unbelievable to watch this. Uh, partake that these deer have just keep expanding their range and 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 that's how I started chasing and chasing big big bucks uh, Jay is just right here locally out of Samuel and Oracle and if I remember right the number always just blows me away but I, I think you've been on like 500 um, book deer harvest is that correct yeah, uh, it's actually uh, the buck we killed with Tall. That one, uh, the buck that scored one fifty-two, uh, was was one hundred five hundred and thirty-two. <laughs> five hundred and thirty-two record book coos deer. That that's unbelievable. No, I, not not um, record book. That's not true. I, uh, th that's just coos deer. I've killed coos deer, forty-two okay. record books. Okay, I was gonna say yeah. 
I mean, 532 guided coups here is an unbelievable thing in itself, and uh, even 32 is an amazing record book coups here. Uh, feet. Uh, we had talked about on a podcast uh, you had guided this last season. Uh, you and your team had guided the uh, Arizona Big Game Super Raffle Coos Deer Hunter. And I uh, got to hear the story firsthand, encourage the listeners to go back and listen to it. But uh, that deer that your hunter harvested, uh, it sounds like got officially scored at over 150 inches. Uh, and uh, I saw it on the cover of a magazine. Uh, pretty unbelievable uh, deal. T tell us a little bit about it, uh, and then we'll and then we'll keep going. Yeah, uh, about three or four weeks ago, Dave May called me, and and uh, he's official scorer in Tucson, and he went to Weller's Taxidermy, and and is where it's being mounted, and he's they scored it. Uh, this several people there, and he scored it, and then Gavin called me and, and said that it scored 152, and it netted 138 and change, so uh, that's that's a it's just an unbelievable deer, I've been fortunate enough to thank the Lord Jesus that I, I when I was 22, I killed a 140 myself, and here at 64 years old, I was fortunate enough with Shane, to, uh, Shane Yount, to kill a deer that, that grossed 152, so thank God for for all the ability he's gave me. Yeah, it's uh, that's an unreal deer for sure. And, um, you know, it's one of those things, you, you know, you kill a 140-inch deer early in your career. Uh, I know I've been around some big deer, and you think, sometimes you think, man, I'll never see another one like that again. And then all of a sudden, you you know, you get a chance at a 152-inch deer. It's just, just an amazing thing. Those big deer kind of are... Obviously, they're in a league of their own, but they're just a complete anomaly for as many deer as you've seen harvested and shot and living around those deer for, you know, 40-plus years. Um, talk a little bit about a deer of that caliber and that size and some of the other big deer you've seen, um, just, just some of the traits that they, that they have. Well, that's a good question because they're not normal, and they're not normal places. Every deer that we've killed that's been over 140, every one of them was in a place that nobody looked. And, and it's that simple. It was either so thick that you couldn't see in it, or it was in way, wide out in, in, in the flats where nobody looked. And it's not where normal people look. And, that, and I think that gives those deer five, six, seven, eight years to grow up. And, and, and so they get to grow up to their natural habitat and nobody's bothering them so i i always encourage people look for deer where most people don't look and there's usually not a lot of deer but there could be some unbelievable deer my son and i jay a number of years ago we we probably missed the biggest buck we ever seen it was bigger than 150 and and we had a client and he missed it five times and, and i don't know how big it was but it had two main beams it was the most unbelievable deer to this day that i ever seen and we seen this deer in the flats about 100 yards off the highway. We glassed it from a long distance away, and we, we shot at this deer five times. And he ran straight out across the highway and went into the, farther out in the flats. And that's how he survived. Nobody could find him out there. That's unreal. Dwayne, um, in looking at these regulations, uh, and people trying to decide what they're going to put in for. One thing Arizona does, 
for the guys out there that aren't super familiar with it. Uh, from a Kuzger perspective, if you take like uh, units 32 and 33, which Dwayne, you're right there where your house is, um, you know, they've got an October 25th through the 31st season. They've got a November 8th through November 14th. They've got a November 29th through December 8th. They've got a December 13th through the 31st season. So in both of those units and in, in most units in southern Arizona, they basically have four rifle dates, uh, you know, starting in October, moving through November, and then finishing up with that December hunt. Uh, speaking specifically about the timing of those hunts, I would ask you to kind of go through each one of them, of those four, and talk a little bit about what guys should be expecting when they're applying for each one of those four hunts. Not in a unit specific, but more, you know, the, the October uh, 25th through the 31st, the November 8th through the 14th, and November 29th to December 8th, and then the later hunt, the December 13th to the 31st. Talk a little bit about each hunt, what guys should expect, and, you know, just kind of the nuances of each one of those time frames. Well, I've heard you've heard me say several times that the October hunt, if you pattern those deer and you're the first one that can get, be on those deer, you have the best chance to kill a monster buck before they're bumped. Once the shooting starts, then usually that rodeo's over. They'll they'll go to wherever they're not being chased, and they'll hide. And that may be out of the flats, or that may be the dick, thickest forest that there is. So. If you have the ability to scout, we've killed just as many big bucks on that first crack after those big bucks early, but after the first day or two, those deer are generally gone and shot up, and you better know what you're doing after that. So the next hunt after that, those deer are usually shoved pretty hard. So you have to start looking where most people don't want to look, or what I call a push zone, where they've been shoved off a road, or where they've been pushed from different canyons into places. So either you got to lace them up and walk into places, and that's usually what happens, Jay. you got to walk into places that most people don't want to walk into, or the tactic that I use a lot is look where people don't look, you know, out in the flats or in canyons that, that don't hold a lot of deer, but those deer feel a lot more comfortable. And each hunt, as it goes on, those, hunt, those easy deer get harder because there's more and more pressure on them. And then in, Jan in December, when you're talking about the late hunt, if you're fortunate enough to hunt after Christmas, in between that and the New Year, then nature starts to take its place, and hopefully some of those does come into estrus, and those big bucks drop their guard and come back out and give you a chance. And that's really the, the best synopsis that I can tell you how to chase those deer, and that's exactly what we're doing. So the October hunt, I mean, for a guy out there that has a lot of time to spend, that's the hunt that you would say you can kill just as big a deer as you can on the late hunt. Speaking specifically about the two middle hunts, one of the things that is, is I think should be pointed out, if you're just looking to coos deer hunt, sometimes that third hunt, uh, you know, that December or November 29th through that December 8th uh, time frame, uh, from a weather perspective, if you're just trying to get out and enjoy and see a few deer, um, that's a great hunt. Contrast that with 
the October hunt where sometimes, uh, you know, with the October 25th start date, that hunt can be very, very hot. You know, you could still have temperatures in 90 degrees. Uh, you've got guys like Dwayne and the guys that hit it hard down there uh, in southern Arizona that have really scouted throughout the whole summer. They're killing bucks that they've watched all summer. Uh, but it sounds like what Dwayne's saying, and I've seen it myself, where, you know, there's a lot of tags, so they do get pounded. So you have to be in there a couple days ahead of time. You have to be set up on your deer. And those middle two hunts, the deer seem to be displaced, like what Dwayne's saying. Uh, but from a weather perspective, you know, if you're coming from out of state and you just want to, you know, a nice camping, just beautiful weather, uh, those hunts do have some merit from that. But if you're getting serious about trying to kill big deer, uh, the October hunt, I totally agree with you, Dwayne. The October hunt, uh, I think, is somewhat better than the December hunt other than the time frame. You know, the, you know, only having that four or five days to hunt in October, whereas the, the, the late December tag, you know, you, sometimes you've got up to three weeks. You know, this year you've got the uh, hunt starting on the 13th and going to the 31st. So, I mean, the short time frame in October is, is a downside but those deer are basically still in their summer pattern. Have you seen deer on that October hunt that actually still have the velvet as well, Dwayne? No, I haven't, Jay. I, I, I haven't seen them in the velvet, but they're, they're darn sure in that pattern. If, you know, I've, the buck that I killed that scored 140 is a prime example of what, what, what happened. I found that deer in July, and I watched it through August, but the difference is, Jay, when I killed that deer in 1976, there was only one hunt. There wasn't all these hunts. So I watched that thing through October, and then it was it started on the November the 15th, if I'm correct, somewhere in that time, and I went right in there, and that deer has still went through the same pattern because it hadn't been pushed, and there was five bucks together, and I shot that buck that scored 140. But you contrast that to the same thing as today, it's, that's not no different than, than hunting it two weeks earlier, which it is now, except it is hot. It can be miserably hot. But those deer, uh, we've killed just as many big bucks, as, as you're, you're correct, in October than we have killed in, in December. And, and I actually think you have a better chance because you're right, because they have not been chased, and you've got a chance to, to kill a monster if you can find one. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the draw odds are much better. Uh, the draw odds for October hunts are much better than the December hunt by far. Um, Dwayne, talk a little bit about, and we've talked about it before, um, those early hunts where you're talking about pattering deer through the summer. Uh, how much time, you know, how much time do those deer spend in the shade and thicker cover on those, you know, end of October hunts? And how do you use your hunt strategy in order to, you know, which direction are you looking as far as glassing, and how do you use where those bucks are spending the majority of their time? How do you use a tactic to try and find them? That's a great question, Jay. And I, I, in my glassing lessons, I go into great detail talking exactly about that. In, in the August, September, October, I, I have a theory, and I, tell, I try to teach this. When the sun starts to hit the deer, they're moving, and they're moving to their bed. Sometimes they move fast, sometimes they move slow. But 
by 7 o'clock, they're going to be gone. They're, going to, they're not going to be visible. The caliber deer you want to kill is going to be gone. So you have to be positioned to kill that deer. A lot of times that's a mile walk-in. That might be three-mile walk-in. Every place is different. But you're correct. I, I have a theory. When that sun hits those deer, they start to move. And, and I, I try to tell people all the time, even in the glass and lessons or, or clients, if you could stand out there with a down jacket on, you wouldn't stand in the sun either. You'd only stand very long, and you'd be moving. So a lot of the time, Jay, we're doing 90% of the hunting on the northwest side. Catch it. Those deer are going to be laying down. And a lot of times, I don't. they're gone before I can get to where they want to be. So we strictly hunt the northwest side from you know, daybreak on, because I know those deer are going to be coming into those holes. So once you understand that two contrasts of the southeast where the food is and the northwest where the bed is, it, the game changes. Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing I just saw here, Dwayne, that I think uh, makes a lot of guys that are probably listening to the podcast excited, uh, the October moon on October 28th, which uh, that is the – right in the middle of that October hunt, it's a new moon. So everyone that's hunting in October this year, you know, the, the first couple days of the hunt and the last couple days of that five-day hunt are going to be basically during the darkest period. Um, I, you know, I'm just betting that this October with the antler growth that we're seeing uh, and with the moon phase for that October hunt, I truly feel like if you have the ability to really scout this summer and really dial in a buck, uh, you know, other than some unforeseen, you know, high, high temperature conditions, uh, you stand a really good chance to have everything lined up to be able to harvest those types of deer on that October hunt. So that, that's, the, you know, a lot of times, sometimes that moon phase is, you know, not as favorable, but it, it, could, it could line up to make an incredible uh, early October hunt for uh, all those coos deer hunters. I, I agree 100% with you. I, I, I think that's, that, that plays right into it. You bet. Dwayne, um, I kind of want to give people kind of a shadowing or uh, a, a look at some of the units in the, you know, that you're familiar with down there in southern Arizona. And what I want to do is basically I'm just going to say the unit n- n- uh, number and you can either say, pass, I don't have a lot of experience, or, you know, spend, you know, five seconds, and then maybe some of the units you spent a little bit more time, we'll just kind of go through them. So if there's people listening on the podcast, you know, and they're thinking about specific units or certain units, uh, you know, you can say, oh, man, super low density or what have you, uh, and it might help them. Uh, we'll just start kind of right at the top, and we'll just go down and, and uh, spend a, just a short amount of time on some and dive in a little deeper on others. Uh, talk about Unit 6A. Well, that could be a tough unit, very tough because uh, very, very rough country, but there's some big deer. Okay. Uh, 6B. I don't like it because it's even worse than, than 6A. Okay. 21. Has monster deer. Not a lot of them, but some monster deer. 22. Same thing. Not a lot of deer, but there's, there's, there's some gigantic deer. In that wilderness area, there's big deer. 
23. Probably the, one of the biggest sleepers there is. Some of the most gigantic bucks there is live in 23. But they live there for a reason, Jay, because it's so thick. And you better know what you're doing when you go there because you may not see very many deer, but you could see a monster. Density, you know, wouldn't you say 23 is real pockety? I mean, you could go miles and not see deer, and then all of a sudden you got a little pocket, and you got, you kind of got to know where the pockets are compared to maybe some of the units that we'll get to uh, in a minute, you know, 32, 33, 31, some of those 36As where it's just kind of widespread deer. I would say, Dwayne, uh, you know, the 6As, the 21s, the 22s, the 23s, they're kind of pockety units. Wouldn't you agree? I, I probably That's probably the best way to put it. You better be a real, very seasoned coos deer hunter to even think about going to those places because the guys will call me all the time and say, I hunted there and I didn't see any deer and I was very disappointed. But if, you're, if you understand coos deer, and you're right, about the pockets, and that's exactly what they are. They're in pockets, but those pockets, if you find one, can you can kill. I've killed three Boone and Crockett bucks in 23, all in the same canyon. So that tells you exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and we yeah. sit on the same rock and glass the same place. 27 and 28. 27 has some of the biggest coos there in the world. Uh, they just broke the new world record in there with a bow about three years ago. And I have a cousin that lives there. His name's Scott Adams. And he has killed some gigantic deer. But I'm telling you, it's probably the roughest of all of the units in the state. You, you, He's hiking six and seven miles in ungodly places. I've been with him a couple times. And I mean, it, and, it, and it's way over my head anymore. So... It's, again, you, there are pockets of them, but there's big deer, but you better know where you're going, and you better be l- lacing those boots up. 29, Chiricahuas. I don't like 29 because of the private property. 29, it, before the private property, and they've locked out a lot of the areas. Uh, there's some big deer. If you could get past the private property and know somebody to get in, unbelievable place but for most common people they can't get in there and they're all congested in one place 30a i don't know enough about it 30b i know a little bit about 30b and uh it it, there's some wilderness area there in 30b that you have a great chance uh to kill some deer so that's where i'd be hunting 31 it's, it's, I think it's one of the sleepers. 31 is one of the sleepers that, it, they, it, it, that there is that most people overlook except the people live in Safford, but there's some gigantic bucks on, on, on those uh, Grand Mountains. One thing that's interesting, I'm looking at the uh, four-season hunt structure in 31, and it, ironically, uh, every season has 150 tags starting from the October, November, the late November, and then the December hunt. They all have 150 tags. One of the things that strikes me that's interesting about 31, and I've hunted it a little bit, is you know, you've got the Grams and you've got the Santa Teresas, uh, basically kind of two mountain ranges, and the Grams go all the way up to like 9,000 feet. So you got pine trees, and then that mountain range drops all the way down into the desert floor, and then you've got the Santa, Santa Teresa's, which kind of border the San Carlos Indian Reservation, and that's just a rock pile. Um, uh, it's a, it, 
it's definitely one of those units I think that, you know, there are definitely big deer in there. Um, I could see some people probably going in there and struggling, but people that know what they're doing could potentially do really well. Yeah, we had a couple years ago, we had some clients over there and did really well in the Grams, and they were elderly people. We did really well. We killed a couple very nice bucks. So uh, that's why I'm telling you that it's, it's, uh, it's, they had a fire a few years ago, and it's changed a lot of that whole structure. So uh, it's, 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 it's become a great a sleeper, to be honest with you. 32, the Galeros. That's another place that has a lot of deer, but they've, they've shot a lot of the roads off, uh, private property and access problems from both sides. So if you don't know how to get in there, you probably won't be able to get in there. And so I recommend people don't hunt 32 just because of the access problems. They, most of the roads on the, on the west side are shut off, and on the, on the east side it's the same thing. So... If you got a horseback and can get back into some of that country, there's unbelievable deer. But if you don't, you bet you have to walk miles to get in there. Thirty-three. That's probably the best unit in the whole state for everything that you said. There's desert floors. You can hunt from the top of Mount Lemmon. There's probably more bigger bucks in thirty-three than than I've seen anywhere in any mountain range. But it's rough in a lot of places. But there's gigantic deer all over 33 from out of oracle so that i had a friend of mine killed a buck in in oracle right i'm talking right out of the city limits last year jay just scored 128 with his bow so i mean we're talking deer that people never see in a lifetime and, and we've chased them uh, before we killed that deer with tall i took him to the catalinas and we hunted a deer that i knew was in the 140s and that day the, the, the fog and rain came in, and we couldn't see worth a darn, so that's why we didn't find that deer. But there's there's big, big bucks in the Catalinas, and that's I think that's why there's more people putting in there for trophy hunting than there is anywhere, because there's some gigantic deer. One thing that strikes me about the Unit 33 is you've basically got the Catalinas and the Rincons, and every bit as much as, you know, that you say the the Catalinas are super super rough mountains. Then you got the Rincon that's just a rock pile. Um, both of those units. The thing I like is you can basically hunt all the different zones that Arizona has, from the desert floor all the way up to the pine trees in both units. Um, and you know, with the proximity to Tucson, wouldn't you say that there's about half the amount of hunter, half the hunters that draw these tags, though, Dwayne, and some of these, you know, southern Arizona units, half the hunters, you know, they just have a big camp, and they just go out and hunt. They don't hike very far. Um, and then you've got, you know, a unit like 33 definitely has, you know, guys that hunt it year after year that are hardcore, you know, hike, hike way in. Um, but then half the hunters you don't really have to worry about. Would you agree with that or not? No, I think that's probably the best illustration. I think it's more than half. I'd say it's probably 75% because that is true. They have big camps, and and then it, it, it boils down to about the same thing as most places. 10% of those guys are killers, and you see, I've seen some of those guys in the same canyons almost year after year, but it, it, it's probably 70, 80% that, that they're, just, they're just there to deer hunt because they want to deer hunt, and that's okay. They're good for them. God bless them. They're out yeah. there enjoying them. But 
there's a lot of country in the Catalinas that's untouched every year, untouched all the way up that that Catalina Highway from Tucson. There are yeah. deer, gigantic deer on both sides of the road there, but it's rough. But there's big, big bucks all the way up that highway. Thirty-four A. It's a great unit, and we guide it a lot. And there's some big, big deer there. I like thirty-four A a lot. Would you say so? That's the Santa Rita's. Would you say the thirty-four A is as good as it's ever been, or would you say there were better days before? No, it's not as good as it's ever been. It, it's a. Uh, uh, I, I think they've overhunted it pretty hard, and and there's a lot of access in 34A. That's really a problem because you can't hardly get away from people. Uh, you think you can, but you cross over another ridge, and there's a road coming in from a different way. And I think they've, with the equipment and the glassing ability people have, they've hunted it pretty hard. We still have some places that are not as pressured as hard, but I think if I want to chase a world-class deer, I'd go to the Catalinas. Okay, thirty. Uh, let's see, thirty-four B. That's another good one. Thirty-four B is really good. It has the same thing down in the desert, and and thirty-four B is is good. We we chase some good deer there too. Thirty-five A. That's another good one as well. Those that's that that's a good unit. Uh, my son had a tag there a few years ago, and Luke and I got after a one twenty deer. And uh, it got away. We didn't kill it, but uh, we glassed it just working down the road, parking and get upside the hills, and, and surprisingly, we found that big deer. So that that's that that's another good unit. Thirty-five B. Same thing. That's a good one as well. Any of those units down there have open hillsides to glass, and they have the thick stuff on the northwest side. So you got great glassing down there, and, and big bucks. Thirty-six A. 36A is is has probably has as many deer as is anywhere there is, but it's it's hunted hard because it doesn't have the vegetation that can hide a lot of those deer. That's one of the places that those flats is where those big deer survive because they push those little mounds to death. Uh, and that's the unit that I was telling you about that we see that gigantic deer at and shot at him. He was in that unit, and he crossed that highway down there going to, to Sonoida. So there's there's some big, big bucks down there, but, man, it's tough to kill a big deer down there, and we just got hit by accident. So there are a lot of deer killed there, but a lot of them are little, so they don't get a chance to grow up because it's very – the Sierra Colorados and all those little mountain ranges down there, there's hunters everywhere, and it's hard for those deer to, to really get away unless they go out on the flats. 36B. Unbelievable unit. Uh, I've killed – I've probably killed 15 Boone and Crockett bucks there. I love it. I love it a lot. And uh, – uh, the cartel has probably drove us more crazy there with all of the illegals coming across than anywhere I've hunted. Uh, and then with the border patrol in there on horseback and, and cutting roads and they've and their their presence all the time, I think that's hurt that unit more than the hunting pressure has because you can't hardly get away from any of that activity down there. And so I've kind of pulled away from the border there, Jay, to be honest with you, and I'm hunting farther in different directions because 
uh, they've just put so much pressure. But if we ever get that solved, and I don't know if they will or not, that's not not my business. But that there's some gigantic bucks that can grow up in, in 36B. 36C. Well, that's another great place. That's where Dan King killed that, that 150 deer, and, and I've seen some big bucks and killed four or five Boonacrocka bucks there. That's another great place because you got the mountainside and you can look back out at the desert floor. So that's a great, a great place, too. Dwayne, when you look at these uh, youth-only deer hunts, <clears throat> And I'm looking, it looks like 22, 23, 27, uh, 21, 28, 31, 32, 33, 34A, 35. I mean, most of them have that youth youth deer. Do you guide that youth deer hunt? And talk a little bit about um, the quality of hunt that that is. Because uh, most of those you can shoot a coos deer or a mule deer, and it's a great opportunity for kids from my perspective. Well, it, it, every word of that's the truth of what you said. Yes, we've guided it uh, on numerous occasions. Uh, the problem with it, with the youth hunt, is like anything. It is. It's a youth hunt, so you're not taking an adult. You're taking a child, and when you got you got a child, uh, that's the problem, Jay. So I I quit trying to get the the, the chasing big deer and try to try to chase. Uh, yeah, I think that, that taking a youth is, is, when you take a child hunting, I think that a lot of parents start hunting through their child. I think that's wrong. I think that you you should take a, a child out there and the first legal deer, let them shoot it and go through the whole cycle of gutting and skinning. And, and then as they mature up, you know, 17, 18 years old, then you can, you can do that. But when you start taking kids, I recommend to the parents just let them shoot a deer because it's hard for kids to kill deer. They, unless they practice, they lose. They can't find them in a scope. And, and I've went through all that rodeo hundreds of times with little boys and girls. So the best thing to do is just kill a deer and then move on. And you are right. You can, in a lot of those units, you can hunt mule deer, and then you can move to coos deer. You can go vice versa. You can do both, Jay. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Dwayne, I want to take a quick second here and thank the sponsors of the podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com. My friend Cody Nelson, I call him the glassing guru. He's the optics authority. He is the optics manager at GoHunt.com at the gear shop there. You can call Cody directly for info and sales on all binoculars, tripods, spotting scopes, anything to do with glassing. You can reach him at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Or you can email him at optics at gohunt.com. I also want to remind you guys about the GoHunt Insider. Uh, If you're not a member of the GoHunt Insider, when you're applying for these different states, it's the best resource out there to look at the different draw odds for each unit. Uh, go to GoHunt.com forward slash J. Scott to sign up. Just for signing up, you're going to get a $50 GoHunt Gear Shop gift card. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U Ultralight Hunting. You can find more information about Kuyu at Kuyu.com. That is the ultralight hunting gear, backpack, uh, all of the rain gear, all of the hunting gear that I wear on all my hunts. Uh, CanyonCoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. Use the J. Scott 19 promo code. You're going to save some money. 
You're going to get 10% discount on all orders. Phonescope.com, if you go on my Instagram and look at any of the photos or videos that I take, most all of those are with Phonescope device. Use the JSCOT19 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. And then onxmaps.com, use the JSCOT19 promo code, and you're going to get a 20% discount on all orders. Dwayne, let's shift focus here. We've been talking about coos deer. I know another one of your passions is hunting uh, mule deer on the Kaibab Plateau. Talk a little bit about, you know, the year before last you had a phenomenal year on the Kaibab, and then it seemed like last year with the drought and everything, everybody kind of struggled on the Kaibab, but your outlook for this season up there on the Kaibab Plateau. Well, I, everything you just said is the truth, and I think that it's going to be unbelievable this year. I think the horn growth is going to be unbelievable, but something else that they did is they cut the tags on the early hunt by 50 tags, and they cut the, the late hunt by 25 tags, so there's 70, 75 tags on the late hunt on the west, there's 30 tags on the east side late, and there's 90 tags on the east side early, so they've cut the tags down, Jay, that, that uh, it's just it's just getting better and better. We're, Jay, we're, we're glassing unbelievable deer. I mean, and lots and lots of deer, and that class is growing up. So this year, that class that, that was just under what we want to shoot, you know, they should pick up 15 to 25 points this year and be unbelievable. Yeah, so, I mean, you're thinking that this season with, with some bucks getting passed last year and uh, or maybe their antlers being brittle and being broke, that there could be some deer, obviously, at maximum potential. You're thinking this year just could be a banner year on the Kayabab. Well, it, it, on the on the late hunt last year, I personally let go with one guy, uh, one of the clients, a hundred and thirty bucks. That's that's personally what we let go, and all the guys that was with me, they they let similar to that, and maybe more. Same thing. There was this wrong with that deer. He was busted. There was yakety yak. You know all that kind of stuff. And we got talking about that in camp. We fortunately killed some great deer for the clients that we had. But this year, those deer made it. They they made it, yeah. and so we're going to back up there. And it, with them cutting the tags by 50 tags to 450 and 75 on the lake, I'm telling you, it, I, I honestly believe that it's going to be unbelievable. I think whoever draws that thing, my Lord, I mean, we're, I think we could have a chance to kill some unbelievable deer. So I look at that 12A West late hunt. It's November 22nd through December 1st. Is that just full tilt running? I mean, are those dates perfect for, for great running? It usually is. You know how hunting is, but it usually is. It usually Thanksgiving is a magic day up there. And any time around that, you know, they they on the late hunt last year, we ended up with six inches of snow, and then every deer over there was down low, so... It was it was Katie bar the door. The hunt was on, so uh, that's why we see so many bucks everywhere we look. We'd see just deer, 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 and so I I think those deer survived, and uh, or hopefully a lot of them did anyway. And so I think that it's going to be unbelievable uh, hunting this year in the Kaibab. Talk about the east versus the west, and guys looking at putting in. Uh, there and what they're going to be facing, whether they hunt the west side or the east side. The east side is very difficult. It's, it's, it's very rough. 
There's not as many deer. There's probably a quarter of the deer there. That's why the tags, you know, are, are so so limited. And it, 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 I always recommend people to put in for the west side because you have so much versatility in terrain. It's either you're on top of the mountain or you're on down by the buffalo ranch. There's no in between there. So that's 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 the versatility of there. And it's a lot more driving around to get to the Buffalo Ranch and back there to the Coxcombs if you hunt down low. And so it, it's a lot more difficult, the east side is, than, than the west side. As far as the west side, access pretty good, and you can hit a bunch of different terrain depending on where they're at, whether they're still up high or in the transition or down low. Yes, that's exactly right. You can hunt right on top of the, and as they start to migrate, they move down to the oaks and they hang in the oak uh, belt for a while. And when there's acorns there, then they drop off on down into the cliff rows and the sage after that. So you have those three transition zones. You don't have that on the east side. They're either on top or they're on the bottom. Once they start to move, I found they never hang up. They just go right on down to the bottom. And, uh, and I think that's because there's a lack of oaks. A lack of food, Jay. So I think they move on down there to the winter range, and so they're either one place or the other. And if they're on top on the east side, very difficult to hunt, very poor glassing. I mean, you better know where you're looking there because it's not like just get out of the car and look. It's very tough glassing up there. How long have you been going to the Kive Abdoin? Uh, Forty-one years. Forty-one Thank years. God. That's unreal. <laughs> uh, if you know. You, you talk passionately about mule deer and coos deer. Obviously, you don't have to choose, but is there one hunt that you look forward to now more than ever um, at, the, at the current state and age that you're at? Is there one hunt over the other that you like better? No, Jay, there's not. I love to hunt. That's why I guide. I love to hunt big bulls with a bow and a rut, my God, is that exciting. I love to chase <laughs> coos deer, and I love to chase big mule deer. I, I like them all, and I'm asked that question a lot. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that the Lord blessed me with this ability to hunt, and I thank God I get to do it. And that's just the truth. I love them all. I'm very sad. Wait. When it hunts over with in February, I'm so sad. My wife says, I go into a depression. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know the feeling. Um, Dwayne, with all of the hunts that you guide between coos deer, elk, mule deer, um, I want to give you a chance to talk directly to the people that are listening and um, give you a chance to let them know how they can get a hold of you and how important it is, you know, their business to you. Uh, you know, and you've been, you know, 41 years on the Kayabab and equal amount of time, uh, you know, in southern Arizona chasing coos. Uh, just give you the platform to, you know, talk directly to the customers, let them know how they can reach you. You bet. Uh, if you want to call me at my home phone number, it's 520-385-4995. Or my web, my new web page that Nick DeBaca, my son-in-law, built for us is DwayneAdamsHunting.com. And I put on glassing lessons for folks. It's $300 to spend a morning with me. And I'll tell you, Jay, I, I recommend that to a lot of people. And, and it's not because of the $300, but what I tell them is that when they leave there, 
they'll be 100% better than they ever was. And in five years, they'll be over 1,000% better because I teach them to quit looking at the wrong places and have the right equipment. <clears throat> and I, I really have developed and have become great friends with a lot of these young men that come with me because they're, they're starving for information, but they can't get it anywhere. And so, you know, that, that was me when I was a young man. I just wish there was a Dwayne Adams out there when I was growing up that could took me and out there and put me on the right road to glass. And so I love the glassing lessons, and, and it just it, I just see a tremendous amount of gratification, Jay, when I get done with one of these young men in the morning, and, and they say, man, I can see those deer now. I, I, and, and I tell them, you're just doing a few things wrong, but that's big things. So it's wonderful teaching them. Yeah, and you teach them the angle of the dangle, and you teach them, uh, we've talked about that before, and, and, you know, so much of it, Dwayne, is building confidence in people and, and, you know, showing them how to find deer, and then once they start kind of finding them on their own, then they just have to spend time doing it. But, I mean, it's so much of it is where you're looking and how you're looking, and then, you know, you talk about the angle of the dangle, um, you know, I know so many people that have commented to me that they've found so much value in you taking them out and actually teaching them how to glass. And one thing I think is cool about that is you actually take them out on the mountain and you actually simulate exactly the same hunting condition and you actually sit there and find deer and help people learn how to, how to find deer. So it's, it's pretty neat. Um, and then you've written some books. Uh, how to hunt deer, how to hunt the kaibab. Um, just highly encourage anyone to get a hold of Dwayne. Uh, he's just an unbelievable wealth of knowledge. Uh, I, I can't wait to see and talk to you after this fall season and see how things went. Uh, and Dwayne, it's always great talking to you. I look forward to seeing, seeing your posts on uh, your successful elk season here coming up first. God bless you, Jay. Those are awful kind words. Uh, you're ten times the elk hunter I am, and I know that for a fact. And <laughs> I didn't know about you're, that. You, you're just an unbelievable elk hunter, and God bless you for it. But uh, you run a great podcast, and it's an honor for me to speak here. Right on, man. Well, sounds good. Have a good summer, and uh, look forward to uh, chatting with you down the road. And I uh, just appreciate the time you spend with us here. Thank you. God bless you, and bye. All right, bye.